also I'm hyperventilating a little bit. If I fall over, pick me up because I've got some things to say. Though we adore men individually, we agree that as a group they're rather stupid. That men are essential for procreation, but when it comes to pleasure, unnecessary. Dinosaurs eat men. Woman inherits the earth. Safety lights are for dudes. Safety lights are for dudes. <laughs> well, put some skates on. Be your own hero. Hands in the air, Kristen. Yeah. Lord, please give it up for the dazzling vocal stylings of Miss Skimmerly. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 75 of Citizen Game. We are back. Seems like we take a lot of breaks. Tis the season. Is that just me? Now we actually have, like, stuff to do. We have lives. Who would have thought? <laughs> you. We have lives, film festivals. I mean, it is festival season. Isn't it always festival season? Yeah, I feel like it is. I am Kristen Lopez here with the amazing Karen Peterson. Hello. And Lauren Humphreys Brooks. Hello. Uh, Kim had to work because festival season is not cheap, so we got to work for that money. And I apologize in advance if I sound like I have an elephant sitting on my forehead because I am in the midst of the post-TCM cold. Remember how last year I had the cold on TCM? I do remember. Well, yeah. I, yeah. Well, it started on like the Thursday I arrived and I literally willed it into retreat. And then as soon as I left TCM, it was like, fuck you. It's happening. And <laughs> where we are. But at least I wasn't a big snotty mess when I was near Ben Mankiewicz. So thank you. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> we have a bunch of news and questions, all of that. We also have a very special tr uh, interview we did. Uh, Citizen Dame got the chance to interview Catherine Hardwick. And you are going to be hearing that uh, in a couple minutes. We'll be playing uh, that interview. Uh, if you are on our Patreon, patreon.com slash citizen dame, maybe head over there because we have our villains draft that we did an hour and 40 minutes of laughter, tears, tears of laughter. <laughs> secrets were, secrets were learned. Lives were destroyed. I don't know. It was really funny. I, I'm still not the same. So like, it's been <laughs> weeks. It's been weeks. And I'm, I'm just like, man, there are things that I heard that I can never unhear. <laughs> Yes, it's all over. Kim's not here it's today. all over at Patreon. Head over to Patreon right now and uh, get access to it. We also have our contest going. Uh, if you want to win a copy of On the Basis of Sex on Blu-ray, uh, we are also making that a prize pack. We have added a prize because we interviewed Catherine Hardwick. I'm just gonna keep saying that because it's so cool. Uh, we're also giving away, courtesy of the studio, whose name I can't remember right now, uh, a copy of Miss Bala on Blu-ray. So if you want to win a copy of that and on the basis of sex, all you have to do is screenshot us a review that you have written for us on iTunes. You'll win two awesome movies directed by female filmmakers and support women in cinema. So yeah, on to the news. Where do we want to start today in the world of why are men? <laughs> Sir, you know, I feel like we haven't done tons of garbage people recently. We have and not. I think that that's... It's been nice. Uh, yeah, it is. It's been kind of a nice respite. Yep, but of course, someone had to rear his ugly head and again say, "Hey, remember <laughs> me? Remember how terrible I am?" Exactly. Um, I'm assuming Sorry, that I know what you're on. thinking of. So, is it is it Polanski? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah we can mention Polanski. So, Roman. Roman, 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 Roman. So, you might remember that when all the Me Too stuff happened, and Bill Cosby got kicked out of the Academy, because he was a member of the Academy, I have no idea that that was a thing, they also kicked out Roman Polanski, because we're trying some desperate attempt to clean house. Well, Roman did not like that, so he has decided a year later that he is going to sue the Academy for removing him. Uh, he says in a filing that they uh, put out to in L.A. Superior Court, that, quote, the Academy committed a prejudicial abuse of discretion and that the Academy failed to proceed in a manner required by law. This isn't a, like, the Academy's his own thing, though. I mean, they don't have to do anything through a court because they're the Academy, right? I mean, they're not suing him. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, well, it's, there are rules, I guess, about certain things like discrimination as far as clubs go. But generally speaking, yeah, the Academy is a private membership organization. Membership is based on invitation. It's not something that you can apply for. Um, and this is a very strange thing. I mean, I think the only, the only thing he has on his side is the fact that they waited way too long to do it. Um, this should have happened in 1977 when he stood in court and pled guilty. But, um, I mean, it took, you know, it took them 41 years, but they finally did it. And also in the meantime, they have awarded him an Oscar. So it's also a little bit weird there. So, it's like, I could see where he's coming from, but also, gross, go away. <laughs> and I don't want him I to mean, win. I mean, do, does Roman Polanski really want to start bringing up legal <laughs> cases in L.A. right now? It, it seems like a bad idea. <laughs> yes, yes, he should do exactly <laughs> that. He needs to come to court. And I, mean, I the... found it hilarious that, yeah, he filed, his lawyer filed it in L.A. court. And I was like, why didn't you do it yourself, Roman? I mean, I know you don't have to. <laughs> But well, I mean, that's why you have lawyers. But... I, I mean, for, for the longest time, you know, this this is his, his as you say, Karen, his expulsion from the Academy is the result of something that happened, you know, odd now, 40 years ago, something like that. 42. It was 1977. Uh, and and yeah, there there has been. So you do kind of begin to question the Academy's behavior in that interim, as you say, gave, giving him an Oscar, all of that. So if they if they were truly a, um, if they were truly concerned about the morality of what he had done, then um, you feel like they should have expelled him way, way, way back when. But this is this is not this is not something he wants to bring up. I don't know why he doesn't just let this go and and be like, you know what? He's he's never going to come back to the United States. The United States is never going to, you know, he's never going to be able to basically. And that's that's okay. Like the dude has been out of the U.S. for forty years. Just just. Just let it let it die. Let it be in the past. Let this not be a thing that he continues to fight because it just keeps on bringing up all of the stuff, all of the reasons why we have such issues with Roman Polanski. I'm sure Roman will be able to get screeners some other way. I mean, really, that's what this is all about, right? He just wants his his movies early. I get it. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> it's classic. It's classic abusers you know stuff because this is what happens when you have someone who 
is a, an abuser of like a wife or whatever. I'm not saying that that's what he's doing, but it's it's very similar pattern of behavior where it's like even after they're kicked out of the home, even when there's restraining orders against them, they still keep coming back. They won't just go away. And it's just, I don't understand that mindset. I don't get that mentality, but it's, it's very similar to that to me. Like he just can't, just can't let go of it. And it's like, he thinks he's been wronged and he refuses to see his own actions. Well, that's, that's what's so weird. That's what's so weird about it though, because, because he had, I, I mean, like whatever you want to think about the original LA court case, and there's all kinds of fucked upness going on within the legal system at that time also. But the guy has, he got an Oscar. They gave him an Oscar post all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I don't know, I, I honestly don't know what more that he wants, except that at some level this is reminding him or reminding the world that they consider him to be a criminal and that they consider him to be a sex offender and that that is not something that they any longer deem acceptable. So it's, it's a weird, like, like you're saying, it's a weird situation. Well, he wants to be brought in as a member in good standing ASAP, and the Academy pretty much told him where to shove it, because they responded as of uh, 3.23 in the afternoon, quote, the procedures taken to expel Mr. Polanski were fair and reasonable. The Academy stands behind its decision as appropriate. For once, the Academy does the right thing. Yay! For once, the Academy under John Bailey does the right That's thing. true. <laughs> if only they had the swift action when the Oscars themselves were happening. <laughs> uh, moving on to Tarantino. So, <laughs> the internet went a little creepy. Speaking of Roman Polanski. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the overlaps are just getting weirder and weirder, man. They are. So, so this this caused a bit of a snafu on the internet because it turns out there was a report that said that Roman Polanski, or Roman Polanski, oh my god, now you have me doing it. Thank you, Karen. That Tarantino, <laughs> uh, well, Roman Polanski could go to Cannes. It's legal. I guess he could. Uh, <laughs> that Quentin Tarantino's in France. They're not going to uh, arrest him. <laughs> Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood which is supposed to play at the Cannes Film Festival, might not actually be done on time. As Tarantino... Well, it, they announced... Yeah, they announced the, the lineup, and it's not on the list. Right. So, but I guess people just naturally assumed it was going to be. I don't know how that happened. The, well, the speculation was that it was going to be the opening night film. And this is back in March. This was... There was an article in The Hollywood Reporter where they had sources who said that Cannes was going to pick it for the opening night film. But then, yeah, a couple weeks ago, it it was like, oh, no, they're still deep in post-production and it's not going to be ready. Okay, so all of this literally could be much ado about nothing. So presumably, if Tarantino's film, which was not selected necessarily to open Cannes, is not ready in time to hypothetically play at a festival that it hasn't been announced to play at, uh, Greta Gerwig's Little Women was going to replace it because Greta, being awesome, is supposedly very, very quick with her editing, and the movie is almost done. And that movie doesn't come out till Christmas Day. And Okay, here's here's the deal. <laughs> so there's been some updates since then, because they announced the can lineup on Thursday. The speculation was because Sony owns both, or they're distributing both Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Little Women, 
that with Tarantino's film not being ready, they would swap it out because, yeah, Little Women is, is, I guess, much closer to being finished. But that also didn't happen, and now Little Women's also not playing at Cannes. Okay. Never mind, then. <laughs> exactly, exactly. This is all I updated pointless. the agenda. <laughs> it's literally not updated on the agenda, so... I did. I did. did I you do it. You did it right now. Like this exact moment. I did it. Bef- <laughs> I did it. No, I did it when we were starting oh. the record. As soon as Kristen hit record, I looked and went, oh, shoot, oh. that's not well, I it. didn't look at it when we were recording, but like right when I hit record, because I was hitting record. Anyways, we apologize, everybody. Uh, it's all Karen's fault. So um, now, it's entire, it's a, Jim the Jer- whole thing is Karen's fault. Whatever happened is Karen's fault. It's- <laughs> um, actually. No, actually. <laughs> <laughs> this happened yesterday well two days ago they updated but it did so. bring up a lot of interesting talk we'll try to salvage this on twitter uh with people saying oh well this just proves that women can get their movies done far timelier than this auteur who needs all this time to make a movie um it was a really fascinating convo uh with like Gerwig stands and tarantino stands drawing battle lines and people were I guess, arguing over whether Tarantino's films are original or remakes. I don't know. It became very weird, but I just, I just want to see Little Women. Now, that's all I really care about at the end of the day. I just want to see that. Well, so some people were saying that, you know, the Gehrig's film doesn't, her getting it done earlier doesn't count for some reason because it's an adaptation. And it, it was a very weird argument because it was like, so Tarantino's making an original film. It's not even really an original film because it's, based on history and he also and he also just lifts whole plots and whole characterizations wholesale from other films uh and that but Gehrig's film because it's an adaptation is not doesn't count in the same way as his films do and it it was an odd argument that basically and basically what it came down to I think was it it was about sexism it's just like Gehrig's film is a a female-centric film by a female director Tarantino's film is a bro film and uh, and one is viewed as being more valuable in terms of artistry than the other. And the, the fact is, not, I mean, neither one is, is more valuable or less valuable. They're simply different kinds of filmmaking. And uh, I mean, I would probably say that I'm way more interested to see Gehrig's film than I am to see Tarantino's because I think that Tarantino's a jackass and he's not an, a particularly interesting filmmaker anymore. That being said, I don't give a damn yeah. about Little well, Women either. Well, bringing this so. back to Ken, then so they announced the op- the lineup of all their they they did say that they may add a couple more films, but I think this is a pretty set schedule, like pretty set list of films in competition. So now your opening night film is Jim Jarmusch's De- The Dead Don't Die, and um, there are only four out of eighteen of those films that were directed by women. And wasn't Can trying to like do a thing where they were saying that oh we're going to get more female filmmakers we're going to get more attention to female films and it's like, oh yeah fuck all last like... year yeah well last year Agnes Varda she was part of a group that was like that was calling out Can and saying like they need to do better and they were like you're right we do next year we're going to be more committed to more inclusion. They put her on the fucking poster this year and then just said, yeah, but we're not going to listen. So now it's tied. Four films in competition is tied for the most they've ever had directed by women with 2011. That's it. Twice 
they've had four films directed by women, never more than that in competition. That's ludicrous. That is bananas. Um, yeah. Um, but to go back to, to what you were talking about, what is playing it can, I wish I had enthusiasm for The Dead Don't Die. I wish I liked Jim Jarmish. I don't, I don't like Last him. Of I know everybody loved the trailer. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, Lauren's not excited for Little Women, which, I mean, I think that's un-American. I don't, I, I don't think you're actually I'm actually that. not excited We've for We've talked either, about this so. before. Like, I'm excited. What? I have talked about this. I know we have. And I think I said then, what I said then, I'm saying again, if I didn't say it the first time, I'm still going to say it again. You both need to turn in your vaginas, okay? Because you cannot be a lady. That's not true. And not I'm not saying it's I mean, a bad. Just, it's, I'm not saying it's not going to be a good movie. I'm saying there's no reason to remake this this story again when there are so many stories by women about women that have never been committed to the screen, exactly. that have never been touched. That's my problem. Oh, I, we don't. We can but, have all those stories and this. That's can the we problem. We don't get this. those stories. Yeah, it, it's like we get this. Little Women or we get Pride and Prejudice or we get Jane Eyre, but we don't get all of the other adaptations of all the other books from the same period. Like, you want to do period dramas? Fine. I am down with that. There are so many of them. And and we don't and we don't get any of that. We just get yet another adaptation of Little Women. And it's just like, it's not, I'm, I'm going to say, it's not that good of a story. Period. Like, it's not really that fascinating of a book. Me and my little women flag are going to go over here. I mean, I love it. I love the story. It's one of my favorite books, but I'm just, I don't need to see it remade again. You're speaking to the girl who loves every adaptation of Wuthering Heights. Yeah, and I hate Wuthering Heights completely and whole. Well, you're, Karen's wrong there, obviously, but. uh... (laughs) Yeah, I, I don't think Karen and I can actually be friends at this point because. Withering Heights is my favorite thing of all time. It's because you hate misery. I mean, you hate happiness. You like misery. And that is what Withering Heights is. She literally (laughs) just stabbed me in the face. Well, we know that you hate joy. We know that you hate joy, Kristen. Thank you. So it's not, it's surprising that you like Withering Heights. Exactly. (laughs) So we're going to transition to our last bit of news before we do our Catherine Hardwick interview, because I am surrounded by people that secretly hate me. Actually, no, it's not so secret. They've pretty much implied that. Their hatred of we all love you, though. I love. We do love you. Uh, like... Terry Gilliam. Exactly. I love I, you, and I'm we're sorry sure that you that. do not have happiness in your life. Enjoy. Hearing I love you from these from these two is like when your dad said your cat went to a nice farm. What? It's just, you know it's not Wow. Aw, so we need, we need Kim <laughs> here to like... Uh, moving on. Yeah. We need Kim here to mitigate, mitigate all of it. Um, But Lauren saw the new Gilliam film. It does exist. I hardly believed it until <laughs> I actually watched funny. it. I was like, this isn't true. This, I'm going to click on this link. It's going to be like a Rickroll or something. Well, you wanted to, to talk about it. So feel free to... Uh, let us know how Gilliam plays in uh, well, uh, actually, I mean, I, my, my full review is on the website. I think that, like, I, I said, for the most part about what the film does, I think I said most of what I needed to say about that. One of the issues that I ran into in watching this film, and it might be that I am getting more sensitive, 
Um, and it might also be because of some of the things that Gilliam has said recently about Me Too and about sort of denigrating um, this movement against sexism and against misogyny and against, and against violence against women specifically. Um, one of the things that I ran into in that film that I have not seen mentioned a great deal in other reviews or positive or negative is the humiliation of women and of female characters in this particular film. And there, there's a lot of it. Um, there, are, there are several scenes that I actually found very disturbing. Not so, like there's no rape or anything like that. Um, but there are several scenes that are very disturbing in terms of the way that the female characters are treated, the use of the female characters and, and of their harassment and, and denigration in order to further the male narrative. Because this is a quest narrative. This is based in chivalric tradition. This is like an, an interaction uh, with Don Quixote, which is about um, uh, chivalry. But the problem is this is a film that doesn't question that in any way, that doesn't uh, take issue with things like the damsel in distress, with things like the, the woman kidnapped and it's implied forced to have sex with um, a, a bad man, right? And the film really does seem to indulge in it and to enjoy the humiliation of, of its female characters, both um, both Jackie, who's played by uh, Olga Kirienko, who is the sort of, who's a sort of femme fatale character, and um, uh, Angelica, who is the, the Dulcinea type character uh, for for Adam Driver's Sancho Panza. So there's a there's an interesting interaction going on there, but it's just this constant repetition of abusive women. And watching that and then thinking about some of the things that Gilliam has said and the way that he has treated women in his other films really began to get to me. It got to me that no one was saying anything about this, that no one was being like, hey, he likes humiliating female characters. This is a problem. So I, I don't know. I just wanted to open it up to you guys and and about like Gilliam's filmography and what he he's actually trying to do and the things that he has said it's it's weird because I there are certain Gilliam films that I like certain ones I haven't seen certain ones that <clears throat> I'm losing my voice uh certain ones that I hate uh, I I was thinking that for me the closest comparison that I saw to this is like Dr. Parnassus um which is a movie I, I enjoy, but I have very complicated thoughts about it because if you've seen that movie, it's about a bunch of men fighting over one woman who is going to be sold uh, to the devil. And a lot of it revolves around her sexuality with like dudes that are well older than her. Um, and so he's always had that, this like weird fascination with with women kind of on the cusp. Um, I don't know how I feel about it, especially in this in this time period. I mean, if you go back to like Monty Python, the Holy Grail, like women weren't really even a necessity in his movies. Um, and then since that time, there's you can feel this shift with like the need to include more women, but also how he interprets them. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been a Gilliam fan for a long time. I like a lot of his films. One of my favorite films is Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. It's a total mess, but 
<laughs> but I like it. But even in that film, you know, there are there are very few female characters in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which is fine. There are very few female characters in the book. That's all right. Um, but the few that there are, again, you know, it's it's the it's the the um, uh, the Madonna whore dichotomy, and he does he never questions it. And there is that feeling that female characters are there to drive the narrative. Uh, to you know, be the the prize at the end, or to be, or to titillate at some level. I mean, like, like you're saying, you know, this this obsession with women being sold and being violated in some way, even if it's never explicitly depicted, there's still that like undercurrent of like, ooh, isn't this exciting? You know, she's being sold to a man, and of course, the the implication is always that he is going to rape her. Uh, and it's it's disturbing, and I don't know how. I, I guess it's hard to divide some of these things from the his use of fairy tale, his use of fable, and of chivalric romance from this real enjoyment of the violation of women. And and I want to see more people actually talking about that because uh, it's it's hard to deal with. It's hard to watch. And I found I found the manicured Don Quixote particularly disturbing in this aspect because I was having difficulty paying attention to other aspects of the film because this sort of disturbing element was always hanging over it. Yeah, and and not having seen Don Quixote, I I don't know, um, I can't speak to what you're talking about, but I, I agree with what you guys have said so far. And it's like, if you look at the films that he has directed, uh, not only are there not um, a lot of, like, women are only used as plot devices. There's not anyone that really has a well-developed character with, with motivations that are just for herself. And it's, it's really frustrating. And I think that, I think that this film coming out now, I mean, of course it's notoriously been delayed for years and years for a lot of reasons, but it, it seems like, especially in the context of the com- the conversations Gilliam has had in the recent, in the last year or so, where he's really been uh, vocal against the Me Too movement and things like that. It just, it feels like from how you've described the film, from how I've heard others describe this film, it feels like he was kind of this, the Me Too movement was sort of maybe more of a motivation for him to get it finished so that his opinion on it could just be out there in the world. It's, it's such a strange thing. Well, the movie's out now. People can see it. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. <laughs> Lauren might it's say very, <laughs> It actually is very similar to The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, but I think that Dr. Parnassus is a much better film. It's so, like, just go see Dr. Yeah, just rent Dr. Parnassus and, like, Ooh, okay. deal with the issues that it, it, it utilizes, but it's actually, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a better film. The Man Who Killed Don Quixote is just not a very good film. Well, we're going to transition from Terry Gilliam to Catherine Hardwick. I got to talk to her uh, all about her new movie, Miss Bala, which is out on Blu-ray. And we are giving away a copy, just a reminder. Uh, She is awesome. And it was so much fun to get to talk to her. We got to talk about Lost Boys. It was great. Uh, So we are going to take a break and play the interview. And we will be back in a couple minutes. Catherine, it is such an honor to get to talk to you today. You are one of my favorite directors. So this is a serious treat for me. Well, that's so nice. Thank you. Well, I appreciate you talking to me. Thanks on your on Good Friday. Appreciate it. Oh, exactly. I just realized I was like the holidays totally snuck up on me. I was like, where have I been? 
it's a holiday already? I didn't even know. <laughs> well, I know. I saw some Easter eggs uh, at a school that I went to. They were doing Easter egg hunt, and that's the only reason I remember. So, exactly. Yeah, so. I was just eating chocolate eggs the other day, and you think I'd have put two and two together, and that just that didn't happen. So go figure. Uh, <laughs> we got uh, all of us on the podcast. We got to watch uh, Miss Bala the other day, which we were so excited because we had been talking oh, about yeah. it. Um, so the question that I wanted to ask first is what was the impetus for you, you know, other than the fact that like, I, I would jump at the chance to turn Gina Rodriguez into an action heroine cause she's amazing. Um, but what was the impetus oh, for yeah. you and wanting to, to tackle this story? Well, I'm, um, of course, Gina Rodriguez and having a major studio doing a movie with a, a Latino lead is awesome and to be celebrated. <laughs> so that's one thing, but I also, I grew up on the Mexican border in South Texas, and I used to jump out the balcony of our farmhouse, swim across the river, and enter Mexico illegally, and then swim back. <laughs> so I have a very close connection to border towns, and I love border towns, and I love just the juxtaposition of everything that goes on, and I love Mexico. I love the art. I went to art school there one summer. I studied architecture, so to me... It's just such an interesting layered culture that I wanted to celebrate, especially in a time when other people are maybe not celebrating it so much and <laughs> putting it down. And I thought, <laughs> hey, it's kind of cool to see it, you know, in a more nuanced light. And, you know, we made, you know, the effort to showcase some really cool modern buildings um, in the movie that are designed by awesome Mexican architects and show, you know, murals and get a sense of the whole, you know, uh, deep culture that's in Mexico as kind of just a backdrop to our story and also just see, you know, the layers of, of you know, a real Mexican, her best friend, Suzu, and her house and everything. Just show it in a different way than we normally see border towns. That was one thing that I was excited about. Another thing I'm excited about is just the idea of testing your limits. Like you're kind of an, quote, ordinary person. Gina's character is not trained. She's a makeup artist. Right. not trained as a Navy SEAL or anything. And suddenly you get thrown into this crazy kidnap circumstance. Now you're being used as a pawn by uh, a cartel and the DEA. What the hell do you do? You've got to <laughs> save yourself, your friend, your friend's little brother. you got to make all these strategic moves without, like, any skill sets that yeah. really relate to this. And so what would you do? Like, we all wonder, like, if you were trapped in this, unfortunately, if you were trapped in a shooting at a club, would you figure out how to crawl out, out of there and get out of there alive and save your friend or, you know, reconnect? All those things that do happen to people in real life. I mean, the woman that just went on safari in Africa got kidnapped, you know, for ransom. A California one. So, like, we all, we just want to project that, go to the movies, at least for me, and imagine going through these scenarios and living it through. And by having somebody like Gina, who you immediately love, and she's immediately, you want to be friends with her, you want to hang out with her. She's really cool and funny and has a lot of energy. Watching her go through all these, you know, uh, circumstances, I just thought would be very compelling. Well, what I love about the movie is that the men in this film, I mean, they all they all are using her for their own ends. So watching it, I was just like, 
ain't that like, you know, poor women, we always got to clean up the mess and figure it out. And, you know, the men just want to shoot the guns and do what they want. And they don't really care. And all the men kind of put their hands on her and yeah. sort of try to control her. And I noticed I didn't give that direction to the actors. They just all automatically, when they embodied these characters, they put their hand on her neck, you know, try to control. Even on the neck, on the throat, is kind of like symbolic. Yeah. Yeah. The There's yeah. an ownership quality to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and silence your voice, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, and women directors, well, I was going to say women directors right now are really trying to, we're having this discussion about what is a female directed film. You know, it used to be, oh, women could only direct rom-coms or, you know, sensitive films. And now you're seeing this kind of smashing of those ideas. And, you know, I always say, I go back to your career and I was like, Catherine Hardwick was making movies that weren't, you know, women's pictures back, you know, in uh, long ago, you know, has that been something that in your career you've tried to, you've wanted to kind of sh- shape how, you know, women directors, they don't have to, to make fluffy films. All your films, I, I love how, you know, they're very tough. They show the vibrancy of like youth and um, the world. Like, was there, was there a desire to kind of not fall into the paradigm of what a woman directed feature is? I think it probably, uh, maybe on some subconscious level, but I think it's actually just my own background is kind of, was kind of (laughs) rough and tumble. (laughs) Like I said, I grew up on the Mexican border, you know, I had like a huck fin childhood rope swing paddling across the river. We had a very, being a border town was very violent, you know, in our high school, the principal got stabbed three times my senior Oh my gosh. So I kind of. Yeah, it was kind of wild. But I think the thing is, I've just always been attracted to, you know, high-stakes situations and and dramatic situations. I've personally had a gun, you know, pulled on me and survived it. So you always wonder, and I like kind of extreme sports, and I still mountain bike, and I like to jump off cliffs. So for me, I like action. I like to be, I like to travel in more third world countries and I just did the trek in Peru and you know in Machu Picchu this Christmas instead of civilization I'd rather be (laughs) you know more radical life (laughs) so I think you know I the first movie I did I had written many others but I never got them made but the first time I did 13 Mm -hmm. that was an extreme situation that Nikki was in at the time I mean she was doing pretty and on one level extreme things you know for a 13 year old girl to be doing and and just how was she navigating this I've I've filmed it in my mind like a war movie like you just didn't know what was going to happen next the camera would follow her into one room into another room you know and I didn't look at teen movies before I made that movie I looked at like Scorsese's I looked at Mean Streets and things like that the killing fields to get that sense of volatility, you know. So I guess it's just me, you know, and that's what I'm interested in. You know? you, you inspired a whole generation of girls, you know, to, to watch certain movies. Like, I I grew up watching 13. I loved it so much, and I'm pretty sure I have you to blame for, like, my love of weird Scorsese violence, all of that. <laughs> yeah. That's a good thing. I say that with love. <laughs> Oh, yes. Of course, Lords of Dogtown was awesome. Yes. The whole skate and surf culture, yeah. 
Yeah, that that one. I, I you haven't made a bad movie for me at least. I, I love them all. No, thank you. Well, I think the thing about Miss Bauer, you know, it got to take all those things that I love to a more extreme level with the action. Mm-hmm. You know, like the big shootout in the bull ring was super intense, and you know, just trying to figure out how to do that myself. And you know, the stunt guy, we would be running across that thing. Where would you put a sniper? position you know just planning all that was very cool well and you know now there's you you've become a film term yourself with this with the movement that we're having now hardwicking is i don't know if you know if you know that's a thing now um with the whole concept of a female directing a franchise film only to be replaced by men um which i've been told by many male colleagues is not a thing and i have to like show them the list of of all the times it's happened, but how how do you approach how do you approach that now? You know, knowing that that that's still a problem that we're still talking about, and dumb men still believe is not real. <laughs> well, thank God there's journalists like you that you know kind of <laughs> the facts, facts, statistics. Hello, look at the numbers. But you know what? What I try to do now, wherever I can, you know, I have like kind of my little master class that I do that shows how I prep for films. It's called Fix It and Prep. I do that at, you know, all the film schools, anybody that invites me or, you know, for Sundance or film festivals, Toronto Film Festival, whatever. I try to like give women and anybody really the tools, ideas, how could you really prepare for a movie so when you get the opportunity that you make the most of it, you make the best movie you can make under the circumstances I'm trying to, like, teach or give back whatever I can, you know, mentor people so that, you know, we just, like, on a, just a very simple level, like, help people be better at their craft and be inspired to do great work and on any level, even if you're making a short film, make it as great as you can. And here's 20 techniques that, you know, I use to rehearse with an actor or do this or that. And so just you know everything we can do to nurture a next generation or any any age of person that wants to get into um, making a film. Well, you're also talking besides about the, besides the typical pale male. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you're also talking about Alice Guy Blachet this weekend, correct? At the the Be Natural discussion, yeah. or did I miss that? Yeah, I was. Tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I watched the documentary last week, and I was talking about it. So when I saw that you were you were going to be talking about her this week, I was like, yay! <laughs> I know Pamela Green. You did. Mm-hmm. She's, she's great, like graphic design company. She's in the titles for like tons of the movies I've worked on and she's just awesome and super dedicated to put that whole thing together. So. Yeah, I got to talk to her uh last yeah. week and we had like a 45 minute discussion about feminism oh, yeah. and silent film and how again another rumor that you know women didn't direct movies back in the silent era. They they just started, you know, in the uh, 70s. <laughs> uh, I know. <laughs> but, you know, we're rewriting history or we're working on it and then we're just trying to make new awesome history, you know. So exactly. I keep thinking, okay, we just gotta be positive. The fact that that um, this is us called me into directing episode. Great, you can see. Yes, there are a lot more men directing their episodes, but the fact that okay, let's be sure we have a woman or another woman direct. At least people's consciousness is changing. That they know they need more diversity. They need more representation. 
so there are more opportunities and we want to we want it to move further faster but it is moving i think in a positive direction when well, you're good. exactly it's very good i'm so happy that we don't have to we we still complain about it but we don't have to complain about it like as virulently people seem to get it we're very slow moving though um but on on the podcast we are big fans of the lost boys and we found out that you are working on a new version of it Uh, we have i have to ask what what's that been like what can fans expect like we're we're counting down the days for this to be in our eyeballs because we are so excited awesome oh my god i'm so happy okay first of all like right almost like the day after the nisbala premiere i suddenly got this you know, opportunity to go interview for the Lost Boys. I'm like, oh, damn. Yeah, you got to. (laughs) Like the most stylish, rock and roll, crazy ass vampire movie ever. You know, the whole thing was amazing. I mean, actually it was one of Scorsese's, you know, uh, the uh, cinematographer who did Lost, um, not Lost Boys, what am I saying? Cinematographer that did Raging Bull. Oh, I didn't know that. Lost Boys. Yeah, Bo Welch, a Academy Award winning production designer, designed it. I mean, he just had, like, the top of the line, crazy, you know, energy, style, design, everything, great actors. And so I was like, I've got to do it. And, of course, you know, we we were up in Vancouver. The new writer, she's taken her new take, like, updated it. As awesome as The Lost Boys was, it was pretty much all white dudes. Pretty yeah. Much. And so now she's added a lot of diversity and like the Frog Brothers are Frog Sisters <laughs> and they are super cool. The two actresses are just wild and wicked and very neat, you know. So I got to, you know, be involved in all the casting and everything. And it was just a really vibrant, you know, exciting experience to figure out how to update it. And of course, uh, you know, the writer had done her take on it and then I've just kind of worked within that world, but I think it's fun. I mean, it's very fun. It's very different, but it's fun. So I can't wait. Fingers crossed. Yes. Please yeah. tell me, please tell me that the, the weird shirtless saxophone player is still in this movie. <laughs> oh, I am so glad you asked that. You <laughs> the most awesome, awesome shirtless saxophone player <laughs> in Vancouver. He came to the audition, greased up, with the hair and he's amazing in it. He is so in the movie. Yay! Oh my god. I'm so excited. It's the best. Um, It makes no sense. Christmas, we're going to ask you the last question. Oh, no problem. No problem. Um, Mm -hmm. The last question I have is, you know, we, the podcast that I do is all about hopefully fostering the next, you know, generation of of female filmmakers to change the conversations we're having. So what advice would you give, you know, young women who have a passion for filmmaking and feel that the playing field's still not level, it's not worth it? What what advice would you would you recommend? Oh, okay. So part of that is just like bump up your skill set so that you've got you're almost bulletproof when you go to a meeting mm-hmm. and you make your short film. Uh, and just do not be stopped. Don't accept the idea of no. <laughs> you know, if if nothing else, you know you can make you know, do the Robert Rodriguez thing, make, you know, five, ten short films for almost no money, you know, his his book is great, you know, had a two-day film school, uh, there's so many, like my little thing, you know, talks about everything you can do to try to push the excellence of your project to the highest level so that when you 
you um, you make things that are good and exciting and interesting and show them to your friends or even friends, even enemies and get their criticism and then try to make your next short film better or your next part, your next screenplay better so that you're just undeniable, you know? <laughs> like, it's just, you know, some of the coolest filmmakers have just come out of, you know, a state, whatever, Iowa or whatever, <laughs> you know, you can come from anywhere if you have the passion and you just keep working on your craft and creating something exciting, fresh, interesting, true, raw, you know, uh, I, I think, I guess that's it, hard work, you know, it's not probably most likely everyone that seems like they were overnight success, they worked hard mm-hmm. <laughs> and kept teaching themselves another skill to edit, to, to create their own visual effects, to, you know, write a screenplay in a, you know, tight way that keeps moving with a pace, you know, and they worked on it and they rewrote that screenplay 30 times before they sent them a, the, you know, I, I used to go to every single seminar in between my jobs. My job was as a production designer on movies, so I could be learning all day long from other from the director and everybody as much as I could. But then I'd also go home, read the books, watch the DVD extras, you know, actually storyboard scenes. How did they do that action scene? I would draw every single storyboard so I got it in my bloodstream how they did it. And then I would do, you know, every take classes and take acting classes editing classes, everything you could do to just learn, 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 and make make it as excellent as you can. Perfect. Well, Catherine, thank you so much. It is, again, an honor to get to talk to you. You are one of my faves, so this has been amazing. <laughs> oh, fun. Well, thank you so much. I love it. G- great questions. And awesome. Thank you. We'll be waiting for the Lost Boys, so thank you so much. All right. I love it. I love it. I'm going to call the showrunner right now. And yes. positivity. <laughs> Well, have a great rest of your day. And we are back. Hopefully you thought that interview was as awesome as I did. I, I, it's pretty obvious. You can tell by like the tone of my voice that I was so excited. She's so great. It's great that you got to talk to her. I'm so glad that, that you guys got to have the conversation that you did. Because I think that, especially now when, when there's such a spotlight on female directors, a necessary one. It's it's good to hear her perspective on things. So. Yeah, and I got to... I, I, it's always weird to talk to a director about, like, how do you feel about this thing? Like, I, I you know, she's a film term now. Hardwicking is a thing. Um, and she's so cool. I love her so much. Um, I, I could have easily talked to her. That interview that you heard it could have easily been about another 15 minutes longer if her rep hadn't been like, hi, you need to go away now. <laughs> <laughs> so enter our contest you can win a copy of her film uh it's it's good um so we're gonna move on to some questions we got some questions from you amazing listeners uh the first one we got uh is from at kh Derek. he asks if you could remake any film dominated by toxic masculinity with a female cast and crew what would it be and who would you cast example blade runner starring i think you meant aubrey, Ar- aubrey plaza i don't know who that is um, oh, did you just put Huff in there? Just your last name? I that was Aaron. that was me. I accidentally copied I his first tweet and not the second no. one. I apologize. <laughs> so the oh, this is tough. Well, I I mean it already <laughs> happened. It was Ghostbusters. And oh did yes, good job. Boom boom. <laughs> um, I feel like I feel like we've answered this in some way before. 
feel like somebody has asked us this in, in a different way. Like if you could remake yeah. a movie with a predominantly all cat, like I always assume I take a toxic okay. film and try to like make it better. Um, yeah, I, I will say talking to Catherine Hardwick, The Lost Boys is another great example of like trying to do something. That movie is all about delightfully so machismo um, and <laughs> and trying to do something different. I love that movie so much. That movie is so great. She was she was so happy to hear how much we loved it. Um, so so yeah. Um, but but I think that that's a great example. So I, I feel like the movies that. I would think of her already being remade or have already been remade. Um, honestly, anything directed by Denny Villeneuve or written by Taylor Sheridan would easily be better with a, a female cast and crew. Yes, Hell or High Water would be a way better. I mean, I already love that movie, but uh, yeah, cast up with like Jessica Chastain and trying to other amazingly like Reese Witherspoon. There you go. Uh, I, I actually did think of one. Lauren, the you first got one? thing that I thought of when I saw this question was Fight Club. And I know that Fight Club is actually. Oh, <laughs> and I know I know that so Fight Club hard. actually <laughs> is like a, a commentary on toxic masculinity. I, it, even though it has not been treated well, it, it is like that's what it's supposed to be. Um, but I just think it would be awesome to see Fight Club remade with women and with a female director. And I the the two actresses that came to my mind for for the leads were um, uh, Brie Larson and Blake Lively. This uh, right now, because oh <laughs> mm. I just think because Blake Lively could definitely have that like <laughs> that you know Brad Pitt kind of attitude, and and I think that Brie Larson treads the line um, that Edward Norton manages to do very nicely between sort of the quiet and and you know towing the line kind of person and then someone who would just lose their shit at some point uh so yeah i would i would actually love to see that i don't know necessarily who would direct it like without just shouting out any random director maybe um uh maybe patty jenkins or or someone like uh oh point break director that i'm Catherine Bigelow. Yeah, Catherine Bigelow. Like I, anyone who's just really Catherine good with action and really Bigelow, good with yeah. that kind of violence, I think would be would be interesting. Karen, you're gonna stick with Ghostbusters. Fuck yeah, <laughs> that is awesome. Uh, so yeah, Ghostbusters two. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Remake Ghostbusters two with with the cast of <laughs> Ghostbusters. Exactly. And yes. Yes. Just give Woo-hoo. us a damn sequel already. Come on. Yeah, the sequel we, just, we want. We, we have a lot of ideas. Just give us our own studio, and we'll we'll eliminate all the toxic masculinity from all your favorite films, uh, and make them better. Somebody's now, gonna because people are <laughs> stupid and they read into things the wrong way, let's clarify: yeah, <laughs> we're not getting rid of masculinity, just the toxic kind. Yes, we're not like you know erasing cigarettes from classic films or something. Okay, just everybody calm down. Um, Chris Hemsworth so, is still allowed to be in our movies. We'll he's allowed to be him. in every movie. <laughs> um, and our last question is from at Black CC Baxter. In light of the release of its first trailer, what are your expectations regarding season two of Big Little Lies? They did put a trailer out for that, didn't they? They sure did. Shows how much I I'm aware of, of things. Um, I watched the first season of Big Little Lies, and I did really like it. Um, I'm not grossly obsessed with it um but 
I don't feel there needed to be a season two, honestly. Um, so I'm very interested to see what that looks like just in general. To how does it justify its own existence? Um, but you got Meryl. You got Meryl and a bunch of other amazing ladies. I, I'm i assuming there will be more bashing of penis with a tennis racket. Like, that would be really <laughs> cool to see. Um, I'm just here so for yeah. Meryl Streep as Nicole Kidman's mother-in-law. Like, that's yes. going to be so delicious. I can't wait. <laughs> Lauren? I have not seen any of this show at all other than screen caps on Twitter. So I cannot comment. It's so good. I, lo- <laughs> I love it. I, I'm definitely more enthusiastic about it than Kristen, but it's so good and I'm really when I heard they were gonna do a season two I was really excited the author of the book at first was very like I don't know but then she was definitely on board they've switched directors because Jean-Marc Vallée did the first season and now shoot it's Andrea Arnold right Andrea Arnold yeah yeah she's doing season two so it's like yep I know that's that's the one thing like I'm like okay Meryl's nice but Andrea Arnold Mm -hmm. is really exciting to me because if you have not spend your day watching Andrea Arnold directed films, you are literally missing out on, on life. Oh yeah. Because they're they I'm not gonna say they're all good actually. Her adaptation of Wuthering Heights pisses me off. Um but <laughs> I haven't watched that one. Maybe I, I should Oh, you might like it. Um I don't care <laughs> I don't for even it. see that one um, actually. But but American Honey is a masterpiece mm-hmm. in my opinion. Um Fish Tank is perfection. Like to talk, you ever want to have a really great discussion with me about like my problematic feelings about a movie? Oh, talk to me about Fish Tank because my bestie and I had a lot of conflict watching that. Movie. <laughs> um, it's really good. So yeah, uh, th- now we're gonna transition from something that we are interested in to something that I had to make sure that we talked about because I had thoughts and we didn't get to talk about them last week. So the first Adams Family trailer came out. Did we all watch it, or was it just me? Oh no, I watched it. Okay, so yeah, I watched it. They're remaking the Adams Family. Full disclosure: I love the original movie, movies, both of them. Uh, Adams Family Two is a mas- again masterpiece. I'm just throwing that word around all the time. Uh, and the television show is great. And they had a great kernel of an idea, which is take Charlize Theron and Oscar Isaac and make them Gomez and Morticia, like. You have the movie there, okay? You literally have all you need to make a live-action, sex-fueled ball of amazingness, okay? (laughs) And what we got is the equivalent of watching the trailer for the fucking Garbage Pail Kids movie, okay? I No, I do not want to hear anybody send me. I know people are furiously typing right now that they're based on Charles Adams' original drawing. No, I don't care, okay? I don't care what (laughs) I watched the trailer for this with my mouth agape because I knew it was going to look bad, but I was not anticipating what I saw. Um, It's not just that they look like something that came out of a person's backside, okay? It's it's the dialogue, too, that I have, like, severe issues with. Okay, we only got a little bit in this teaser trailer. I don't want to know what a real trailer looks like. But Oscar Isaac has an accent in this movie that I kept hearing. And I was like, why does he sound like the Frito Bandito? Why? It sounds... I I get that he's trying... 
I get that he's trying to maybe emulate Raul Julia's vocal cadence, but like that's that's how Raul Julia like sounded. Um, it just Oscar Isaac does not sound Latino in his vocal inflections, so it just sounds like he's doing a really bad caricature of like insert La- and he is fucking Latino. I'm not understanding. What is going on? Why doesn't he just sound like he sounds? Why can't he go for a John Aston thing and just sound normal? <sighs> not like there's nothing fuckable about this movie. There is nothing entertaining. You had one job. Oscar Isaac is Gomez. <laughs> the movie makes itself. <sighs> Very upset. I've been upset for two weeks. <laughs> No, I take that back. Kristen... I've been upset for a year. <laughs> so Kristen got that out of her ah! system. Uh... This movie doesn't even come out till October. So it like the hate fires get to fester. And I will I will put money down right now. Mark mark what day is it? What's today? April 20th. As the day I claim that there's gonna be a scene because this is the guy that directed Sausage Party. There's gonna be a scene where they probably break the fourth wall like they did in that stupid movie and you're gonna get the live action for like 10 seconds, okay? And that's gonna happen. And when that happens, you will hear on the nightly news, young girl forcibly removed from movie theater for screaming, that's bullshit during an Adams Family movie. (laughs) Kristen needs to go smoke up for 420, man. (laughs) <laughs> Kristen needs to mellow a little bit. Once again, this is hashtag Oscar Isaac keeps fucking up. It is breaking my heart. I will say that the That's a long hashtag. Yeah, I will say that the production design, I was very intrigued by that, but then when you see the characters, I was like, what fresh hell is this? Like they look so exactly. terrible. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Charles Adams's cartoons do not lend themselves to 3D animation like that. It, it, they just don't. This Gomez looks like a gross pervy pedophile. Okay, I, she's not totally working. Totally does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not. <laughs> I thought it was just being me. Thank you for that second, Karen. <laughs> no, he definitely does. They should just do that's, it. That's, yeah, they should. That's just what's so odd about this is that mo- most of us know the Adams family from the '90s films. Um, some of us know the Adams Family from the 1960s TV show. Very few people know the Adams Family, first and foremost, from the cartoons. Uh, and it, it just, yeah, like, like looking at this, you're like, but, but Gomez and Morticia are hot. Right. They are like hot for each other. And they're like, you know, the, the, a lot of people have written about the fact that they're one of the most well-adjusted couples on film and on TV and instead, and and you've got Oscar Isaac and Charlize Theron right yeah. there. They're standing there. They're just standing there and they didn't actually make use of that. It just seems like such a cop-out and such a waste. It, yeah, I do not I see understand. these blobby characters have sex. Obviously they won't because it's probably going to be a fucking G-rated film. But I do not want to watch these two characters bone. Oscar Isaac, Charlie Theron, I'd watch that. I'd, put, I'd pay money for that, okay? Good money. Cinemax money, okay? I mean, <laughs> God. One job. One job, sausage party director guy, okay? Comes out sometime in October. I don't even care what day it comes out. I mean, I'm going to go. But I'm going to be really mad about it. Karen will be there. 
She's gonna see how mad I am. <laughs> I'm gonna see it, but I'm gonna be mad but about I'm, it. I'm gonna give them my mad money. Not, no, it's a screening. I won't have to pay for that. Oh, okay. <laughs> that or the studio is just gonna be like, oh, you're that girl that went on like a 45 minute screen on her podcast about how much you hate it. You can pay to go see it. <laughs> yep, that's exactly what's gonna happen. Uh, so we did see some movies uh, this week that did not make us cry like the Adams Family. Um, I went, and, Karen and I went and saw Little before TCM. Um, this is the body swap movie with uh, Marcy Martin and uh, Regina Hall and Issa Rae. I thought this was, I, I know at a certain point, Karen, you looked at me and said, this movie's really dumb but I'm really enjoying it. And that's that's the perfect way to say it I didn't it say it was dumb. I said it's not good. <laughs> okay, I said it was dumb. Um, so, and I think that's a good way to des- describe it. This is a movie that if you've seen any body swap film, you get the, the same basic logistical issues, but the jokes are consistent enough that it's really entertaining. Um, I, I thought once the movie, it's got a rough, like, first 20 minutes because you have to introduce just how horrible Regina Hall is. And I, I, I think we go from, like, horrible to just, like, the biggest mean person who doesn't deserve to exist. She's just, like, vile. Um, and I, I think that that loses the impact at the end. Like, I'm like, I'm not believing this chick's ever going to change. She's literally the worst person ever. Uh, but once once she switches into uh, Marcy Martin, the movie's really fun. It's her and Issa Rae trying to to grow as people, and you know the little girl has to go to ele- uh, middle school and deal with mean girls. Um, I wish that it didn't seem to take place in the span of about two days. I would have liked a bit more time developed, but there's some really fun ideas, some different treatments of relationships that I thought was fun. This is a great movie to, like, take your mom to on a matinee and have fun with. Um, Karen, what do you think of it? So, you know, I've thought about this a lot. I actually wrote the written review for Word Circuit on it, and so I've really been thinking a lot about this movie in particular, and and I still I still stand by the fact that it's, it's not a particularly well-developed story, and so that makes it not a great movie, but... Uh, absolutely there are jokes in it that I was laughing out loud really like the whole theater was at certain points like it's it it's genuinely a funny movie and I I actually disagree with you about Regina Hall's character I don't think she's like the worst person ever and maybe this is coming from someone who has had some really terrible bosses and I was like "Mm, actually she's not so bad um (laughs) if that gives you any idea of my work history but um in fact, someone tried to compare her to, of course, Miranda Priestly, and I'm like, okay, not all mean female bosses are the same. Let's stop comparing everybody, you know? So, um, I actually, I thought that one of the things that made her different was the fact that she, you actually get to see why she became the person that she is, why she's, you know, this snooty, mean person person you get a glimpse of that and it's you know it's because of something that happened in the year that she be you know goes back to well she doesn't go back to the year but in the age that she goes back to and uh I don't know I I I thought it worked pretty well um again I don't think that the story itself is all that developed and I think the biggest reason is because of the fact that it is such a compact timeline 
um, Marce Martin has talked in interviews. She actually came up with this idea. She's an executive producer on it. She has a first look deal with, with Universal. And by the way, she's 14 years old. And she's she's just what we've been doing with our whole lives, right? I know. I'm like, oh, geez, you're right. Yeah. Anyway, but um, but she actually came up with this idea when she was about ten, and it was because her parents were showing her movies that they loved as a kid, as kids, and one of the movies that they had her watch was Big, and so this really is directly inspired by Big, and in of course in that movie the story takes place over six weeks and so you get time to really have stories developed to have characters develop and in this case that's that's not what happens so I think that's really the flaw with Little is just that it doesn't have enough time and also there's just this like there there's certain storylines or or plot points that just never go anywhere that could have really paid off if they'd had time to do something with it but overall I think it's really fun. I highly recommend it. Like, just go check it out. It's 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 really cute. It's also got Karen's "This Is Us" dude in it. Sorta, yeah, for a couple minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I I feel like that was a complaint that she didn't put in her review. Like, not enough of that guy. <laughs> yeah, Justin Hartley, not Sterling K. Brown. Um, Justin I don't know. Hartley. I don't know those guys. And uh, <laughs> he plays a teacher at the middle school. And he seriously is in two scenes. And there are other scenes in the middle school where it would have made sense for him to have been there. So I don't know. Maybe they just got him when he was on a break during shooting. This exactly. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and then the other movie that we have, I watched on Netflix. You can watch it now. I watched Someone Great. It's the new uh, film directed and written by Jennifer Caton Robinson. Uh, with Gina Rodriguez and Brittany Snow and DeWanda Wise. Uh, I had been trying to get a screener of this for over a month, and Netflix, for some reason, really didn't want women to review this movie. I don't know why, because it lives up to the title. I really, really loved this movie. Um, it's a movie about three friends going out for a night on the town. Gina Rodriguez's character is going to move to San Francisco. She's lived in New York most of her life. These are the friends she's had since college. Um, and then she has also broken up with her boyfriend after eight years, who's played by Lakeith Stanfield. And what I love about this movie is that it's showing women in their 30s and the concept of how dangerous complacency can be to your development, that it's often just easier to stay with what you know because it's comfortable rather than try to like go out and do something different uh, maybe not with the people that you've known your entire life. Um, and as somebody who made a huge life change recently and, you know, left left her hometown, like, it spoke to me. Um, it's really funny. It's crass in some points. Gina Rodriguez and Brittany Snow and DeWanda Wise are hilarious together. You really believe that these are friends that have been, that have a history. Um, there is a Selena musical number that I was just in love with. Um, it's, it's adorable. It should be getting a lot more promotion than I think it is, but that's the nature of female directed written projects, isn't it? Uh, especially on Netflix. So if you have a chance, I would definitely recommend it's only 90 minutes, take some time and, and watch it. It's a really great rom-com, not in the sense that it's about a romantic relationship, although it is about that, but it's also about platonic friendships and how they change and being in love with the city um, it's just, it's a really, really sweet film. 
um, that uses the word fuck a lot. <laughs> it's great. Um, so I, I hope, I hope Karen, Karen, I know you said you wanted to see it. Uh, I think Lauren would like it too. I, yeah, I just haven't had a chance to watch it yet. Netflix comes out with some random stuff that you just like never heard of and then it's there and then you forget about it the next yeah. minute. Like Juanita was another one that is actually very good and really interesting and it's a different kind of film. Um, they just don't promote those kinds of films enough. Yeah, what they choose to promote is very interesting. Um, I, I don't, I don't get their strategy. So exactly. Um, but go watch it; it's awesome. Uh, Lauren, do you have anything that you've watched that you want to briefly promote? Uh, I, I mean, I've, I've actually been watching a lot of the Criterion Channel because the Criterion Channel finally got released last week. And that has been fun. I have watched almost all of the Columbia Film Noir um, sort of collection, and they, they have some fantastic things on there. It, it actually is a, a really excellent resource. And uh, I know it's sad we don't have the TCM stuff, we don't have the Filmstruck stuff, but there's, there's still a lot of content and a lot of interesting and different and... Um, uh, not predictable films to watch. Like most of the noir films that they had on there, and I know a lot about film noir. Many of them I just had never heard of, or I'd only heard of in passing. Like they've got films by Fritz Lang, they've got films by Blake Edwards, uh, and, and so far there hasn't been one that I haven't liked. Um, so yeah, go check out the Criterion Channel, everybody. Do awesome. so good. Yeah, like they have a bunch. They have a ton of Agnes Varda films on there, and um, yeah, they do. Definitely, I mean, just enjoy that. They just added a couple of Suzanne Beer films, um, so it's like they're really, they're really committed to also making sure to include a lot of films from women and not just stuff that's out like in the last couple of years. We're talking stuff from like the seventies, eighties, so it's great. Awesome. What does everybody have on tap this week? Uh, Lauren, it, Tribeca starts this week, right? Start of Tribeca, yes. I have unfortunately not gotten to go to any of the pre-screenings because I have had to work and make money. But yes, Tribeca starts at the middle of this week, which means that I'm going to be spending a lot of time in a dark movie theater. Awesome. And then Karen and I, Karen, well, I was going to say, Karen and I will be in one for three hours because yes. we go see Avengers this week. But we won't be at the same oh, screening. <laughs> no. We are at different screenings because you are a glutton for punishment. Um, you're going... You're going it's to the night. I have a job, so. Uh, okay, well, so does so do I, but it's just Tuesdays <laughs> or my Tuesday mornings. I don't, yeah, have I have no work. So uh, I'm going in the morning. I'm going bright and early at nine a.m. so that I have the rest of the day to actually do stuff. Um, and then you're going at eight, 8 at night. p.m. So I will be home at midnight. That'll so be I will fun. be trying very hard not to feverishly text you things. Uh, Meanwhile, you will be trying not to text me things at one in the morning. So that's <laughs> the nature just of our mute you the whole day. <laughs> that's my. Point. I don't think we're allowed to actually talk about it, though. I think the embargo is. Weird. Yeah, I but I mean, like, I'll mute your texts. I'm not even going to see any texts oh, from you. Thanks, thanks. I won't. <laughs> I wasn't gonna text you, God. Um, God forbid there's something horrible that happens. I'm like, my house is on fire, and you're like, fuck that bitch. I, she's got Avengers spoilers. I'm not looking at that. <laughs> if your house is on fire, there's not much I can do for you anyway. So, 
Uh, you could bring a bucket of water, okay, Karen? <laughs> Hi. Huh. Anywho, so we will be hanging out with uh with Hemsworth this week, in some form. I don't know. Um. So that's gonna close us out. As always, uh, please enter to win our contest. We are going to give away once again a copy of On the Basis of Sex and Miss Bala, both on Blu-ray, to one lucky uh winner, preferably in the U.S. because international shipping is terrible. Uh, all you have to do screen us. Uh, screenshot us a review that you have written of our podcast uh we will uh have the person entered hopefully we will have a winner by the next episode um you can get in touch with us via twitter at citizen game pod we are on instagram at citizen game pod we also have our facebook which is facebook.com slash citizen game if you want to send us an email you can do that at citizen game pod at gmail.com our official website is citizen game pod.com where we have all of our Citizen Dame fives this week. We were looking at popular music in film. Uh, Lauren has her Game Strep column. Kim has her uh, female uh, bleh, female Fridays, as well as her classic film Thirst Traps. I have uh, a bunch of reviews up there as well. You can check that out. And Kim or Karen will have the next round of What I Did for Love articles up in the next few weeks, talking about the Mummy, not the yep. good one. The Tom Cruise one. <sighs> if you uh, want to spend your money on us, there's also a couple ways to do that. You can buy some merch at Zazzle.com slash Citizen Game. We have a bunch of things with our logo and stuff on there. Uh, if you want to set us a one-time payment, maybe buy us a coffee. You can do that at co-fi.com slash Citizen Game. And if you want a lot of bang for your buck, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash citizen game. Once again, our villain draft is up there. It's an hour and 40, 41 minutes of delight. We also have uh, Karen and I regularly review movies early on our car critiques. So maybe maybe we'll plan something Avengers style once we both have seen it. We'll try to figure something out and do a you want to wake up Kristen before. in the middle of the night so we can do it. Be like, talk team. about Avengers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, we all have our upcoming Man from Uncle episode is going to be coming soon. That will only be available on Patreon. You also get access to our Citizen Day buttons, which are awesome. So that's patreon.com slash Citizen Day. And we are on Twitter individually. I am on Twitter at journeys underscore film. Karen, where are you? At Karen M. Peterson. Kim is at kpierce624. And Lauren Humphrey-Brooks, where are you on Twitter? I am at lhbusiness. So Karen and I will be back next week. I know Lauren has Tribeca. Kim has more work. So maybe we'll have a guest. Maybe we'll have some fun things planned. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed our interview with Catherine Hardwick. And we will see you next time. <laughs>
The Adams Family. <laughs>